0: with Dr. Fadid Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadid Holakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in 310-441. 0555 you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program and the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple podcasts so tonight I was actually going to be joined by a colleague psychologist and friend dr. Jennifer Galvin um, to talk about toxic positivity and I posted it on my Instagram today and got a lot of positive responses already. Not toxically positive, but just positive responses. Um, But unfortunately, she could not make it. Something did come up, so we had to reschedule it to next week. So next week, Dr. Jennifer Galvin will join me and we're gonna talk about toxic positivity. And everyone should be very okay and fine and happy with it. No matter what happens, you always have to be happy. Just kidding. That's basically the theme of what we will be talking about how it's okay to not be okay, and how trying to always be happy or feeling the pressure to always be positive and happy can have negative effects on ourselves, on our relationships, and all sorts of things. So, looking forward to that discussion with her next week. And so, because of that, I'm going to do the book of the week on Wednesday, since that was the plan. And today I'll just have a show. The call, the phone lines are open. I know people have. Not expected to have the phone lines open, so we'll see if anyone does call, but either way, I have some things I did want to discuss. So the first topic that I wanted to get into was, well, first let me take a step back. There is something you might hear me talk a lot about is balancing different aspects of life. We oftentimes want to look for an easy rule, always do this, or this is always good. Um, Or if you want to have a good, whatever it is, you should always do it this way. But what we find is, first of all, every quality has good and bad sides to it. You can be very consistent, but sometimes because of that, you might become too inflexible. You might be more of a free spirit, but you also then might lack consistency or the ability to stick to something. And so essentially any topic or any kind of characteristic has some positives and negatives. But also when it comes to how we live our lives... We usually will find that there are different things that we have to balance. I actually think this is one of the most challenging things that we face in life is that everything involves a balance rather than we can just find one fixed way of doing it, set our course, and we never have to re- evaluate things. So it's less like we are just on a track like a train track and you get on the right one. It's more like we're on a tightrope where you have to walk and each step adjusts and readjust and you have to keep staying focused because even though you might have balance for a second, you could lose it again not to make it feel so anxiety provoking that you can lose balance, but it's just a realization that in all aspects of our life if we don't pay attention to how we are doing, we won't know, even if we were doing okay. So in relationships, for example, we can, um, a big balancing act is between closeness and space. And so I've talked about this one many times and I do wanna talk about a different one, but we have to balance the sense of being close with each other, having that connection, having the time and emotional intimacy there, but also to have our own space And of course, ideally, we'd always want the exact same amount, but couples don't always have that. And this can lead to conflicts because if you're the person that wants more closeness, it can feel like your partner doesn't love you as much as you love them. But that might not be the case at all. It could just be that you have different needs for closeness and space. And another analogy that works for this one especially is that the passion of a relationship, it's like a fire. And so just like a fire, it needs closeness and space. You need the friction or the closeness to create the heat for the fire to keep burning. But you also need air or else the uh, the fire will burn out or it won't have the air it needs to breathe. So a relationship has that same balance. So I do want to talk about these and, and I'm considering either making it a series or starting something of balances would be the title of it, of just these different things that we have to balance. Um, today, I want to talk about one that's a little more specific, in a way that uh, I hadn't thought about it before, but I wanted to discuss it tonight. So it's a sense of balancing our sense of uniqueness and in some ways what we might consider our self-esteem or our value and me being unique with the other need of connecting with others and seeing myself like everyone else as well. So how do I balance this sense of needing to feel special and unique but also feeling like I belong and I connect with everyone else. Because if we go to either extreme, we can lose something. So if I try to be too unique or shine in some way that makes me totally different from everyone else, it could be good. But if I'm so different, then I also will feel disconnected from everyone else because I am so different. And then if we Just feel that we are part of everyone else we could lose our sense of belonging so to begin with we can think about how we have a need to feel that we're wanted or desired in some way so we have to feel like we are indispensable Not in the sense that literally the world would fall apart without us, but that we are in some way needed and wanted. And so every child, and it doesn't necessarily go away, but especially in childhood, we know there's a sense of being made to feel special. You know, I think there's a Toni Morrison quote where um, every child just wants for, you know, when they walk in the room for your eyes to light up, that you're so excited to see them. And so children want that. I don't think it actually does go away, but especially in childhood, there is this need to feel that I am special. I am wanted because we are dependent on others to take care of us. So we want to have that feeling that I'm going to be nurtured and taken care of. Now, the child might not think, in that moment, it's more of an unconscious, automatic feeling. They're not going to think, well, my mom didn't smile that big. I'm not going to be fed or given shelter. But they will have this bad feeling. But underneath that, there is this sense of, I need to be feel that I am needed in some way or wanted, desired in such a way that I will be taken care of. I will be part of this family, part of this group, part of this collective. And so I need to, in some way, stand out or be belonging in such a way that I will be taken care of. Now, on the other hand, we need to feel connected too. We need to feel like we are like other people that we can connect and relate or else we're going to be very alone. And I remember this came to my attention one time when I was talking to someone and they were explaining to me how they felt. Um, It was a a client, actually, and so I'll kind of, as I, anytime I talk about a client, I try to tell the story without telling the details that would identify the person. So um, that'll be happening here as well. But so the person was telling me about their experience, and as she told me about herself in her life, there was a sense that she was seen as this star as a, a child. And it seemed really nice, and she was talking about the special attention that she was getting Uh, and how it felt good and at school the teacher saw her a certain way and she was given special attention and privileges and all of that felt great in a lot of ways but then it also made her feel alone because the other students saw her as so different and she couldn't really connect or relate or they couldn't feel like they could relate to her because she was so special in this way and just in that moment i had this image of seeing her as a little girl sitting on the bookshelf in my office, I just popped into my head and whether you want to call it, intuition or really sometimes it's an emotional expression of something that we're feeling even in an unconscious way I try to hold on to that and see what was that feeling and so it was interesting because it made a lot of sense so here she was on top of the bookshelf which is a special place to be which is somewhere that not everyone gets to be and it's elevated and it's up right so it's high up there and that's what we think we all want but at the same time she had to be away from all the other children You can't play with the kids when you're far away they can look up and admire you and tell you you're so great and you're special in that way so you will know that you're going to stand out you're going to be special and wanted but you also stand out in such a way that you no longer belong you can feel like you're no longer part of the group and i shared some of that with the client and they felt that that did feel uh, it resonated with what they felt they were in this way put on this pedestal as we talk about you've heard that term before but when you're put on a pedestal people aren't on the same level as you so you can't connect with them so we want to stand out and be made to feel special because then we feel like if i'm special i'm needed but the problem is if we're made to feel in that way too special or too unique and not like everyone else well then we also cannot connect with others and feel that we belong with others And so we also see this when we look at something like narcissism if someone has a strong narcissistic personality they are they see themselves as better than everyone else as everyone should just basically worship the you know the ground they walk on and think they're so good and things that happen to them are more important than happen to other people and all these things and that makes them feel so good in a way but people who are narcissists have a very hard time being in relationships. And it's because of this, they themselves, to maintain this type of self image that makes them feel good, have to feel like others are different from them. So they have a hard time feeling empathy. So if someone is hurt, they don't really get it, especially if it's about something they did because they have a hard time acknowledging a mistake or wrongdoing. So if you're hurt, there's something wrong with you, whether you're sensitive or you're crazy, or it's your problem, but I didn't do anything wrong. And similarly, what can be surprising for some people is that they will see themselves as The biggest victims sometimes so it can seem strange because a narcissist comes off as seeing themselves as so strong and powerful we could wonder why would they ever feel so hurt by something but it's because of that same principle that I'm so different that something hurting me is so significant and so important this hurts so much no one has hurt the way I'm hurting right now or how dare they hurt me Me, who is so important and special, how could they dare hurt me? So, this is so bad. So, you'll often see narcissists will feel incredibly injured by something that you might not think is even that big of a deal. And they'll be surprised if you can't recognize their own pain. And you might share the same story that they did to you or someone else did to you, but they'll say it's different because to them it is different because they see themselves as different from everyone else. So your pain isn't the same as my pain. If someone uh, stole money from you, it's different from when they stole money from me because I am in this way special. And so narcissists are unfortunately too much on that extreme of seeing themselves as special and unique or wanting to see themselves in that way But because of that, they can't connect with others. And so people will find it's very difficult to have any kind of a meaningful, deep relationship with someone who is extremely narcissistic because they're going to see themselves as too different from others to connect with them. So we can see that although we have this desire to be special and unique, We also have a need to be similar to everyone else as well. And this is a balancing act that we all have to find. And as is often the case, sometimes we see some characteristic and we think it's good, and we think any extreme of that is still good. Just like with wealth, people think, well, money is good, so extremes of wealth are good. Even for the individual, that's debatable, but for society. I'm definitely not getting into that right now. But as an individual, when you want to feel good about yourself, we think, well, the more of that, the better. So if someone thinks they're so amazing and they think they never make a mistake, you'll hear people say, oh, I wish I was like that person. She didn't care about anything that happened. He didn't care that people were saying that they were wrong and they were so self-assured. And some of that is good that they feel so self-assured. But if you're that way, you're also very not self-aware. They won't actually recognize their real weaknesses or where they don't have a strength or where they maybe can improve. So although it sounds good or looks good from the distance because you might feel yourself that you doubt yourself so much, you don't believe in yourself enough, someone who is a narcissistic has gone out of balance and now sees themselves as so special that one, they don't really see themselves because they're seeing a distorted image, but also again, they won't be able to see themselves around or with other people in a genuine way. So what we have to try to figure out is how do I find this balance where I recognize my uniqueness and my value, but I also see that I am like other human beings. And this thought came to my mind, or it solidified in a way, I was listening to Kristen Neff, who is one of the leading experts on self-compassion, doing an interview, and she has a new book that is out, but I'd read her earlier book, I think it's called Self-Compassion, and I think it's a really good book looking at self-compassion and how you can improve it in yourself, but one of the things that's interesting when you're trying to have more compassion for yourself, this loving feeling for yourself, is that you have to actually see yourself a common humanity, that you are like other people, that you're going through something and doesn't feel good, but other people go through those kinds of things too, or if you've made a mistake It's a sense of, well, you know, everyone makes mistakes. There's a sense of being part of this community of all people and that I am like them that actually can help you feel better to have this genuine self-compassion. So it is this strange type of a dynamic because we think we want to be special. And you do. It does make sense that you want to be special and unique and feel that in some way. And we we strive for that. Again, it's not just in childhood that we want to be seen in that way. We're looking for that. And especially we look for that at least from our romantic partner, that they should see us as different from everyone else in that type of a way but there is this balance of having that and if that goes into overdrive too if our partner overly or idealizes us in some way that's not healthy and usually leads to really bad outcomes in the relationship Uh, and overall we just need to have the sense of being special and unique yet being like everyone else and i try to have that mindset especially when i encounter other people and in therapy you can have this in a deeper way as you get to know someone on a deeper level that you recognize that each person is unique as you hear their story yes there's themes that are similar but there's a way that their experience is genuinely a unique experience as a human being so that part of them is unique while at the same time seeing that there is a common humanity that connects this person with other people that I've met and that I know that makes them a human being. And really, I can only understand them if I recognize that they are a human being, or else I would have no idea to understand where they're even coming from. So I think we can have that mindset easily with others. It's something that hopefully we can have for ourselves as well, that I am unique, that there is no one else like me, that's true, but I'm also like everyone else too. They might seem like they're incompatible, but to me, this is one of those things that we have to balance. All right, let's go to a commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. In this segment, I wanted to share a, a, a story, not something that happened to me, but a story that's like a, a fable or a parable that helps give us a uh, message or some kind of advice and um a way of looking at things that we maybe didn't before so you know i want to imagine it could be yourself but we'll just say it as a story there is this person who is very very hungry starving and hasn't eaten for quite a while and doesn't know when they're going to get their next meal and they happen to come upon someone who gives them a few dollars and lets them know because it's getting late at night that there's this one restaurant that's open. All other restaurants are closed. There's only one restaurant and they have a few dollars. They actually could get something to eat there. And so the person is so grateful and takes the money and is walking to this restaurant. They know that they're barely going to make it before it closes, based on what the person has told them. They get to the restaurant and the person closes the door and says, We're closed person says no please they beg let please let me in i haven't eaten for days i just have a few dollars can you please let me just have something i need anything and so the person's a little bit annoyed upset they wanted to go home but the restaurant owner says okay let me how much do you have and they say I have a few dollars i can give you something for that and so they say okay but you're gonna have to eat out here even though it's cold and the person says okay i, may have, I have no other choice then I guess I'm going to have to, uh, eat the food, whatever you can give me. So, okay. And then says, yeah. And also, you know, we are out of, um, forks and spoons and things. So, you know, you're going to probably have to eat it with your hands, even though it's not really finger foods. The person says that that's okay. I guess that that's all there is. Then I'll, I'll take that. And then they say, okay, well also, you know, um, I've already turned off all of the ovens and things and all the heating devices. So it's a little bit, it's going to be cold. And so, uh, you know, I can only bring you some cold food. And a person still says, well, I, I, there's nothing else I can have. Um, then I guess that that's okay, fine. You know, they're getting a little bit annoyed and frustrated, but they, what else can they ask? Or as they say, Beggars can't be choosers, and that's how this person feels. And he says, okay, that's fine. And so he says, yeah, and you have to, you know, I can bring you this chair, but it's really uncomfortable, um, but, you know, has its parts broken, it's going to maybe go into your leg a little bit, but you can sit on this one and eat?" And he's like, okay, maybe I'll stand, maybe I'll sit on that. And so eventually the person brings him this food, it's cold, it's been old sitting out, and it's also not really served in a way that's easy to eat, and he's just eating however he can, getting a little bit into his mouth. He's so hungry that he's so grateful. He still thanks this person so much, the restaurant owner. Thank you so much for giving me food. I was so hungry, um, but you basically have have saved me. And the restaurant owner leaves and that's it. And so this story can describe how many of us approach life and different aspects of life. And I'm thinking in particular about relationships when we come from what we call a scarcity mindset so this individual we're saying the story as if it was the reality but the reality that he has is there's nowhere for him to eat that there's nothing available for him as he said beggars can't be choosers that whatever type of food which can be analogy for love or a relationship that he can get he should take because there's nothing else for him to eat no one no one else is going to give him food he's not enough he doesn't have enough money but this feeling of not being enough so even if it's cold or served in a bad way if the person is not doing much for them they think they should be so grateful and lucky to have that because there's feeling i don't deserve and there's a scarcity there's a lack of giving me what i want and also When people tend to have a scarcity mindset in something like relationships they've tended not to feel a lot of love in their life so they are starving they are so hungry so they are willing to accept almost anything someone gives them even if it's almost nothing because they feel like i'm i'm so hungry i need something i need this now and they feel like i i can't expect to get it anywhere else why should i expect that it can be anywhere else and so in this story it's you know very uh, obvious that this person might see it as no other choice but many of us are living our lives the same way we feel that we don't have enough to offer and we also feel like the world doesn't have enough to give us and so we feel so desperate to take whatever it is that we can take and unfortunately the hungrier we feel the more desperate we do become And so you see this with people in their relationships. And specifically, I'm talking about romantic relationships and dating. People will approach the way they look for someone with so much anxiety that whatever they can give me, I should take it. I should say yes to it. Who am I to ask for anything else? There is nothing else out there. And also, if you have a scarcity mindset, this is going to make you very upset. If you see other people happy because you feel they're taking some of the few options. There's no, almost nothing out there. So someone meets someone rather than it being a happy occasion because you think there's abundance, there is enough for them and for you. It could feel like, ah, oh, that's so bad. I, there's Maybe there's none left for me. And so we see this happen in lots of communities where we feel this way and individuals can feel this way and they're told almost to feel this way that they need to almost be upset when other people get married or get into a relationship because that's one less for them and so we don't want to be unrealistic either it's not to say that there's this infinite abundance all the time of everything and it's understandable that we can have some feelings when something happens for someone else that we want and actually this comes up a lot people can say well I should never feel bad if someone I care about has something good happen to them And there's a range of this. Some people genuinely do not want good for others, which genuinely does come from this space of feeling scarcity and feeling like there's not enough. So there is some of that. But oftentimes if you don't feel good about some aspect of your life, And then someone else experiences something good in that same aspect or area of life it's likely that you will feel something bad not necessarily because you don't want them to have good but because it does remind you of what you don't have so this can be a common thing if you for example since i'm talking about relationships strongly want to find a partner or be with someone and have been having a difficult time and then you find out someone close to you has gone into a relationship You could feel multiple things, which is often the case. People tend to think you feel one thing. So you should only be happy for your friend. And hopefully you will have that feeling. You likely will be very happy for them if you genuinely care for them. But it's understandable that if in that moment, you also feel this tinge of, oh, like I still don't have someone and I want to have someone. Is that going to happen for me? It doesn't mean you don't care for your friend or you're a bad friend or you're selfish or you're jealous or you only want bad for them. If you have this feeling, you might feel both things at the same time. And that's that's okay. And usually we do have more than one feeling or if we think about feelings, they are much more complex and purely happy, sad, angry, afraid Feelings are much more complex than that. We try to categorize them in these ways, but the real reality of experience is much more complex, dynamic, and complicated than that. So you can feel that way, that's there. But going back to the sense of a scarcity mindset, when we feel that way, and sometimes you might get to that point in a certain aspect of your life, but if we go further and further into that scarcity mindset, we, one, become more hopeless, that I can do something about my life and two, we become more desperate in what we are willing to accept or take from other people. So I'm urging you to recognize this in yourself and it's hard to change because some of this aspect of the scarcity mindset versus a mindset of abundance is going to come from our childhood and what we have experienced, both what we experience in our needs getting met, were they met in a uh, realistic reasonable, timely manner that makes us feel that we can expect the world will meet our needs or were they met inconsistently or rarely or not at all. And this is why actually when we look at uh, Eric Erickson's stages of development, the first year of life is trust versus mistrust and there's the sense of, will the world respond to me? Will I expect that the world can give me what I want? And as we get older, of course, it's not just waiting for the world to give it to you, but it's the sense of, is it even available? Is it even there? So if you did not get that, it can be hard to shift that mindset to, there is enough out there. When you didn't experience getting what you needed and what you wanted when you were a child, when you were a baby. This can be very tough. So it's something to think about in yourself. Do I operate from a scarcity mindset where I think there's always not enough that the world is going to let me down and I'm going to be let down by the world? Or do I approach life with a mindset that there is more abundance? Not, as I said, in a disingenuous way that you think, there's going to be everything for everyone all the time, always, and I don't have to do anything about it. That can almost go to a childlike sense of omnipotence, that there's everything is going to be taken care of easily. But I mean a genuine sense that it is out there. Because if we don't think something is out there, just like our uh, our friend here in the story, you won't look anywhere else and you'll accept anything that you can get. Or you might not even look to begin with. The first step to Trying to make things better in our life is we have to have some degree of hope. This is why hopelessness is such a powerful and destructive feeling and experience, and even one that's linked to suicide, is that if I feel hopeless that things can't get better, so things feel bad now and they can't get better, that can lead to a point where I might think there's no, well, what's the point? Why go on? So the first step is I can feel bad, but know that things can get better then, well, I I will feel a sense that there's something to fight for or to keep going for. But if I don't think there is any better than this, it's always going to feel this way. Well, we can see how that changes the way that we, we look at things in our perspective. And this is why we often will tell people that your feelings are temporary. They're not permanent feelings. You feel them and they go away. Sometimes they might last a long time. It doesn't mean literally we use the analogy of a wave, but that it's going to last a few seconds. It could last even days or weeks. People can be depressed for months. Uh, Even within that, they might have different feelings. But the sense that you will have a change in how you feel, that I can change them or itself will change as well, is very, very powerful because we're going to feel down sometimes. It's not we should never feel down. It's what are we going to do when we do feel down? Are we going to... Um, get very upset about it and think we never will make things better are we going to uh, judge ourselves for being down this is some of what toxic positivity is related to will we give up hope and think that things will never be better so why should i try or will we think this is temporary i might have to ride it out maybe there's something i can do about it but either way i do have the hope and belief that things will get better So I hope none of us will approach our relationships with this mindset of our friend looking for the restaurant when they're starving, willing to accept anything they can get and thinking they have no other choices, that nothing else is out there. There is a lot more out there, and oftentimes we're afraid to even try to find it or see if we can make it happen. We have to first have that belief and then also take that responsibility that it's up to me to make things better. But there are... There is more out there than we might assume, and even those assumptions might serve us by making it easier to not have to do the work to make it happen. So just a little story there to make us think about scarcity versus abundance, that there is much more out there than you probably recognize, but you have to first believe it and then do what you can to make that a reality for you. Let's go to our last commercial break. We'll be right back. welcome back. So in this last segment tonight, I wanted to talk about a new term that just came to my mind of emotional soreness. So um, let's talk about what that means. And I mean this in a positive type of soreness. It's kind of like the soreness you might feel after working out, after exercise. So to me, what this term came to my mind, looking at people trying to make changes. And when you try to make a change, There's always a discomfort that comes from that, even if it's a very healthy change, even if it's good for you. And this could be challenging for us because when we feel something negative, we tend to think or that makes us, drives us to think that thing that we're doing that caused that feeling was not good and we should avoid it. We should not do that painful thing that's how feelings can serve us in a way is by guiding us towards what's feeling good and not feeling good the problem is what feels good in the moment isn't always going to be what's good for us long term going back to the balancing this is another one of those things we have to balance is feeling good in the moment doing what feels good to us but then also not doing things that feel good in the moment but that hurt us or not not doing the things, avoiding doing things that actually will help us in the long run because they might be uncomfortable in the moment. And I also make this distinction at times that we have to look at pain and see if it's the pain of discomfort that comes from damage, which is not good, or is this pain that is coming from what leads to growth, which actually uh, I've used the analogy of a gym, but now extending that further to talk about emotional soreness. And there's no uh, tests you can take to know if this pain at times is for growth or if is it damage? Is it actually not good for me? So you can be in a relationship and people know that will say, you know, a good relationship takes hard work and it's not always going to feel good. And some people could take that to a bad extreme. They can be in an incredibly toxic relationship that's hurting them, hurting their partner. They're fighting ugly and they're just bringing out the worst in each other. But they can think, well, you know what? Relationships are supposed to be tough. So this is just what what it means. This is hurting right now, but this is good. But no, in that case, that's the pain that is coming from damage. That's not good. That's toxic and harmful the good kind of pain in a relationship is you talk about some things in the moment that don't feel good it pushes you to face parts of yourself that you maybe didn't want to face insecurities things that you haven't looked at seeing where you are contributing to the problems in the relationship and it might not feel good in the moment but that can be a pain of growth that's actually leading to the betterment both of the relationship and yourself so this distinction is a hard one that we have to really take a look within ourselves because we're so good at fooling ourselves of what it is. We're trying to do something new that's good for us. It's a little bit uncomfortable. We don't feel good, i like, got ah, you know what? It doesn't even make a difference anyway, this thing that I'm doing, or who cares? I was fine without it, right? Uh, even in therapy, actually, this is a big thing. People start therapy and it could be a little bit tough, facing feelings that are not easy, facing our past very commonly, When people start therapy, there is this challenge of looking at our past differently. Some people maybe already are in touch with their pain. Maybe they even are blaming too much on the pain of their past. But many people, they're on the other extreme. They prefer to have a rosy picture of their childhood and their parents. Oh, my mom and dad were the best. They were great. Nothing was bad or nothing was really that bad because it could be too hard to think they were not perfect or they were not great or it can even make us wonder does that mean they didn't love me but the thing is even if your parents loved you so much and tried their absolute best as i think most people are doing most of the time they still did things that hurt you so it's not about blaming or saying they were bad people but it's just the reality of any relationship but especially being a parent where you have so much impact and influence on how the child feels That you're gonna get a lot of things wrong, and even some major things will go wrong, even if you do try your best. And so people start therapy and they think, okay, this is gonna help me. And actually, oftentimes, therapists and I do this too will inform the client that you can likely feel worse before you feel better. And we say this because it can feel strange that if I'm going to someone who's gonna help me feel better. This is going to help me in my emotional well-being. But then you start and after a few sessions you feel worse. Then you can feel like, well, this is the wrong thing. If this was supposed to make me feel better but I feel worse, then it's not working or the therapist is bad or therapy just doesn't work. Something is not quite right. But when you recognize that the reason why you're feeling worse is you're going through this emotional growth, this emotional pain. And so what you're feeling is an emotional soreness that leads to then the growth then we can understand why it hurts and hopefully then stick it through that. I'm going to keep going just like if you go to the gym and it starts hurting, but the person says, yes, this actually is a good hurt. This is the microscopic tears that are going to happen to your muscles that then get repaired that make you stronger, that make your muscles bigger and more capable of doing more things. This is actually a pain towards growth. You could keep pushing yourself. And many of us know this, but sometimes we don't know, so we might think we should stop if it starts to hurt. So unfortunately many people, and the most common thing is for people to go to a few therapy sessions because it starts to hurt a little bit. and we had made some kind of an equilibrium with ourselves of understanding our past and ourselves and our present and going forward that although didn't necessarily serve us as far as bringing out the best in us and the best for us but it made sense to us in some way and shaking that up can be a little bit scary so people don't want to do that so unfortunately this emotional soreness that people can start to feel When they begin therapy, could lead to them telling themselves, Oh, see, this is what's the point of this? I was okay without it. Uh, This is like, you know, not working. It's not helping. They're just trying to take your money, whatever the reasons are we come up with to just say, I shouldn't be doing this thing and I'm going to stop. And so, this is why we have to be almost on alert to recognize that when we do something that leads to growth, sometimes it feels good from the beginning you go to an art class and it's very casual and you've never done it before and you just feel good and you're like, that was great i want to keep doing it but sometimes when we do something even deeper or that challenges us in some way in a different way we don't feel good and the tendency is to say we don't need to do it that's the homeostasis in the moment trying to keep us comfortable rather than keeping us growing so i want us to think of an emotional soreness and if you've ever worked out very often if you feel sore, now sometimes you feel so sore it hurts a lot, but sometimes even if it hurts, it feels really good because you know that a hurt feeling and that pain is because you pushed yourself in a healthy way. You did something that's good for you. I remember sometimes when I play basketball for a long time and then you would come home and you take a shower and you can just feel your muscles a little bit sore and that you know you've kind of gone through it a little bit and it feels really good. There's a sense that I put my body through something that's going to lead to growth. And so because of that, when you feel that pain of being a little bit sore, you might actually like it. Not that you're, uh, you know, um, wanting to hurt yourself, like uh, having a masochistic type of a feeling that I want to hurt. No, but you know that pain is a reminder of something Good of something that's good for you, that's going to lead to benefits and is already benefiting you. And so, because of that perspective, it can have a huge shift on how we interpret and feel about what's going on. And so, what I'm encouraging us to do is to think of our emotional soreness the same way that you do something that makes you feel uncomfortable, that you don't like, that doesn't feel quite good. And to try to recognize that this is not something bad that I'm doing, that I'm feeling this type of a pain. This is emotional soreness. This is me growing in an emotional way in my psyche and my ability to handle things in my life. And that's why it doesn't feel good. And so sometimes we might hate something that we start doing. If you're afraid to go somewhere or be in social situations, you almost will hate what you're going to go through if you're anxious about it. But what you want to keep in mind is if you do it more, you'll hate it less. If you do it more, you will hate it less. So if you hate going to some parties or some kind of things that you need to go to or want to go to with whatever your friends or with loved ones or whatever it might be, it doesn't mean you have to love it and you're going to want to make it something you do all the time. Some people have preferences that are different. That's fine. But if you do it more, you tend to hate it less. If you get anxious about going to class or if you get anxious about doing something, the more you do it, the less you will hate it. And so if we can keep this in mind that that soreness is actually a good thing, it's telling me I'm growing, that can have a different feeling than, oh, this feels bad. Let me stop doing it. And so we have to pay close attention because we tend to look at things that don't feel good and think, go away from that. So you do something that's pushing you out of your comfort zone and then you go back to doing things the way that they are. And in relationships, this becomes even more challenging. So if you are, let's say, someone who doesn't bring up conflicts or issues with people around you, your loved ones will have gotten used to you being the person who doesn't bring things up And it could be even they've helped to create this dynamic that they have shown you or they've responded poorly when you bring something up. And so over time, you've learned that it's better for me not to say anything. It's better for me to hold things in consciously or unconsciously. You've learned this. So now if with that person, you say, you know what, you become aware that I avoid conflict. So I need to start bringing things up more with people. And I'm going to bring it up with this person that I'm close to. If you start to bring something up with that person and they're not used to it, they tend not to respond well to it. They're like, wait, what do you mean you're, you're doing that? And so here we have the double challenge. It's hard to change ourselves and do something that we're not used to doing. But if we're in a relationship with someone and a dynamic is in place, it can be very hard for them to accept that we are changing because they like things being the way they are, especially if it serves them in some way. But one way that it doesn't serve them is that there is a lack of uh, authenticity in that relationship or it's not as close as it can be but what can be very challenging is now you're bringing things up they did something you didn't like you're learning not to avoid conflict so you bring up the thing that they did that bothered you but they're going to respond in a negative way they're going to tell you well that's what do you mean or you're just making things up or why are you causing so much trouble or this is not so not like you and all these negative things and taking away what they usually give you which is the reinforcement of. It's good when you don't bring things up, or I like it when you don't bring things up, um, or at least I don't get upset if you don't bring things up, and that's good. And that's going to be a big challenge for you because it's going to push you back to your comfort zone. So this emotional soreness when you're in a relationship, both people have to be willing to go through this discomfort. And this is where when we talk about relationships are difficult. This is what we mean is that when you want to make an even positive change, it does Need for both people, it requires both individuals to be willing to be different, to respond differently, to expect or be okay with different responses from their partner from what they are used to. That's very challenging. So we get into our groove and our comfort zone, and it seems like everything's okay, but we might actually have some huge problems there, but both people have to be willing to make that change. And so both people have to be willing to endure that initial emotional soreness, because if not, we go back to our comfort zone. It reminds me of our posture. So almost all of us, I know myself, I've actually realized the way I'm sitting and standing is not good with my shoulders hunched over. I try to pull them back. But if I'm not thinking about things, I go back to my default, which is an unhealthy way. And that's the part that I think fits the analogy very well, that I go back to my comfort zone, but it's not good for me. It's bad for me. And unless I'm conscious of it and keep thinking of it, I keep going back to this unhealthy comfort zone. And so if you have someone else encouraging you to go back to that unhealthy comfort zone in the relationship, it can make it even harder to change. They respond negatively. You don't feel good. You're going, you know, it was better the way it was. It wasn't better. It was just easier. It was what you were used to comfort zone doesn't mean it feels comfortable comfort zone just means that we're used to it it's what we are accustomed to so just like when we're dealing with our physical body we don't want pain that's damaging or pain that's from something that's hurting us in a negative way but we know that it's good when we do feel some of that muscle soreness that leads to us growing that leads to us being stronger Similarly, when it comes to our emotional sense of self and well-being, we have to recognize that we have to be willing to experience some emotional soreness and we need to expect and be ready for emotional soreness and even embrace it and love that feeling that this is me getting stronger. This type of pain or discomfort is me leading to growth. All right, that brings us to the end of tonight's show. As always, a big thank you to Amir here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Farid Alakwi. Have a wonderful night.